Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Effective keys to soul winning. And I believe I'm going to do a two-part series. I might do this today. Uh, I'm going to deal with some things. And then Thursday, I'll finish it off because there's so much I want to talk about. And uh, soul winning, as you know, we're an evangelistic ministry. I am an evangelist before I'm anything else. And so I know that, uh, and many of you know that soul winning is, is something that's very dear to my heart. It's everything I do. Everything I do, everything I set out to do, every penny this ministry spends is for is laser beam focused uh, on winning souls to Christ. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. The very first t-shirt we did has that uh, literally on the background, uh, on the back of the shirt to, to save the lost at any cost. And so this is something that's very dear to my heart. And I believe God has anointed me as an evangelist, not only to reach the lost and dying world and bring them to the feet of, of the cross and to get people saved, but I believe the anointing of the evangelist is not only to call people to Christ, but those that are in Christ to mobilize people to win souls for Christ. And that's what I have targeted this this video, this video four, is to mobilize the body of Christ to, 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 to move in the harvest, to see the greatest harvest of souls the church has ever seen since its inception at the day of Pentecost. I have always said this, that in the cross, the church was born, but at Pentecost, the church spreads. It was at the cross that everything that was necessary for our salvation was born, but it was at Pentecost that the church began to spread, and we just celebrated the day of Pentecost on Sunday, and Sunday night at Western Road, we had amazing service Sunday morning, many were saved, but on Sunday night, we had a powerful mobilization service, and I believe many were filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, there's a lot of people, when they talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, a lot of it is di directed at, you know, speaking in tongues, and I'm not against speaking in tongues, I speak in tongues. And I believe that the initial evidence, physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to speak in other tongues. However, that's not the only evidence. And if all you do is speak in tongues, but there's not a desire and a zeal and a passion to see people around you saved and set free through the gospel, then I question whether you're really baptizing the Holy Ghost. Because the first, the very first thing that occurred in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost suddenly invaded that room and tongues of fire came on them. Yes, they spoke with tongues, but the Bible says when the sound occurred, many in Jerusalem came to where they were at and they began to mock and they began to scoff at them and say, these men are drunk. But the very first thing that Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do was to get up and in boldness say, these men are not drunk as you suppose. And he began to talk about the prophet Joel's prophecy that in the last days, God God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And that's what God is doing. He did it this past weekend in Toronto. And God's going to continue doing it until the rapture of the church. God has a plan. I want you to understand this. The devil has a plan to destroy this generation. The devil has a plan 
to promote wickedness in this generation. But God has a better plan. And he says in Acts chapter 2, my plan is to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And young men will prophesy. And young women will prophesy. And they'll see visions. And old men will dream dreams. And it shall come to pass that many will call on the name of the Lord in those days. And they will be saved. And then Peter, when you know the Bible says the people were pricked to the heart, he boldly said, he boldly said, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the very first thing that the Holy Spirit empowered the early church to do was to spread the gospel. They were like raging lunatics. Everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. Everywhere they went, they shared the message of Christ. Even Paul, after he had been converted and saved, he said in Romans 1.16, because this is what the Holy Ghost does. This is the primary purpose of the Holy Ghost in the life of a believer. It is to burn out all timidity and all shyness and all fear so that we can boldly declare as Paul did in Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is even today in 2022 the power of God unto salvation to the Jew, to the Greek, to the male, to the female, to the young and to the old. God's gospel is still working today and so I believe these these this broadcast and if I do part two on Thursday these two broadcasts are gonna be very integral in forming something substantial in you where your life will never be the same and I believe and I was praying before and I felt the Lord tell me this there are many of you that have come and you're watching this broadcast either live or on the replay and when you first got saved you had a zeal for the lost you had a passion to see people saved you were at work telling people about Jesus you were in the streets telling people about Jesus but there was something that happened I don't know what it is maybe it was a tragedy lost of a loved one something took the wind out of your sails and your evangelistic fervor has kind of drained out and it's and you've lost that diligence you know the bible says in romans 12 we are not to lack in diligence but we are to be constantly fervent in spirit serving the lord not lack in diligence fervent in spirit serving the lord and some of you have lost that fervency but i'm here to prophesy to you today that the fire of god God is being poured out on you as you watch this broadcast and that evangelistic fervor and zeal is being kindled afresh and anew. Ye shall go out and do the works you did at first. That first fire, that first love you had for Jesus in the gospel is coming alive in you today and you'll do the works you did at first and greater works and the fire will never go out. Now, I want to start off by reading in Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning with verse 11. This is what the Bible says. And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So he lists the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Not everybody's an evangelist, not everybody's a pastor, not everybody's a teacher, not everybody's an apostle. But there are specific giftings God has given and callings that God has put on people. You know, Paul said, I am Paul called to be an apostle. It is a calling in life. These are the fivefold ministers. But then he tells you what they're for. 
They're not called to receive accolades from men and that we can roll out the red carpet and just, oh, these men are great. No, they have a description to their jobs and assignments. There's a purpose for why God mobilizes these fivefold ministers. And Paul says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we're no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But we should speak the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Jesus Christ." So the Bible says, and Paul's saying that the purpose of the fivefold minister is to literally build the nature of Christ in you and then equip you with what God's put in them to do the work of the ministry. Now, many people say, well, I don't feel called to the ministry. I'm here to tell you, you might not be called to a full-time position of ministry, meaning maybe God didn't call you to pastor a church. But if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a born-again believer, you have a ministry. You are in the ministry, whether you know it or not. And I want to read this. To prove this to you, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and beginning with verse 17. Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, if anybody's in Christ, so we know here, he's not talking about some that are in Christ that have special callings. He's saying if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new species of being. Old things have passed away. Your old depression, your old anxiety, all the things that came on mankind as a result of the first, uh, the first Adam, all the depression, all the spiritual death, all the physical sickness, all the, the mental agony, all the torment, all the heaviness of life that came on as a result of the first Adam, Paul says here, it's passed away. It's been done away with. You know, he says in Ephesians 4, we've taken off the old man and we've been renewed in the spirit of our mind and we've put on the new man, which is created in the likeness of God. So if you're in Christ Jesus, those things don't have a legal right to remain in you. And I bring this up because a lot of the times the number one hindrance to evangelism is I've got anxiety. I'm still bound. I'm still oppressed. How can I tell people about Jesus if I still feel this way. Look, Jesus told his disciples, go into the city that is ahead of you and you're going to find a donkey tied to a pole. I want you to loosen and bring it to me. And if the master of the donkey says, hey, that's my donkey. What are you doing? You should tell him the master has need of it. That donkey represents you and me because what did Jesus go on to do with that donkey? He sat on the donkey and he used it as a vessel to usher into his usher in his presence into Jerusalem. And so God wants to use you to usher his presence into your workplace, into your schools, into your society, into your city, into your nation. But many of you are bound to the pole. You're like that donkey. It's still bound. But God wants to loose you right now. And that's the first thing the fire of God does. When Samson was bound by two new ropes, the fire fell and the ropes burned. I prophesy in the name of Jesus. Man, I'm in the prophesying mood. I prophesy in Jesus 
Jesus' name. Every hindrance that has prohibited you from moving out into the full call of God on your life, every demonic hindrance and resistance is being burnt by fire now in the name of Jesus Christ. Loose him and let him go, for the master has need of you, and God will use you greatly. So Bible says, all things have passed away, everything becomes new. So now, Paul continues to say, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he already said, if anyone's in Christ, so we know who we're talking about here. He's not talking about uh, uh, special, special men of God that have great... No, he's saying, if any man's in Christ, he has been given not only... The, the status of a new creation and the reality of that, but a ministry of reconciliation. I want you to write that in the comment section. I have a ministry. I have a ministry. Because if you don't feel the responsibility that God's given you, you're never going to step out and do anything for God. If you don't feel the burden of the ministry you've received from the Lord, you're never going to step out and fulfill that ministry. Paul told Archippus in Colossians 4.17, say to Archippus, take full heed unto the ministry which you've received from the Lord so that you can fulfill it. Well, Archippus obviously was getting distracted with other things. Maybe he didn't feel the full burden of the ministry. But Paul reminded him, take full heed unto the ministry which you've received from the Lord. Well, you're not going to take full heed unto the ministry unless you believe you've received it from the Lord. I'm here to confirm it from 2 Corinthians 5. You have a ministry of reconciliation. And then Paul goes on to explain what that even means. That is, that this is verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputed their trespasses to them, and has now committed to us the word of reconciliation. Well, I don't know what to say. You know, I, I know I have to preach, but I just don't know what to say. It, it's very simple. Tell the people God is reconciled, has reconciled the world to himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to point out here, Paul didn't say the ministry of reconciliation is going around telling sin Sinners, they're wretched, depraved, stupid things, and they should, you know, God's going to destroy them, and God's going to send them to hell, and just that whole doom and gloom uh, uh, gospel that people love to talk, you know, they just berate sinners, they just make them feel like, like there's no hope for them, they're, they have this snobby, high-nosed perspective of themselves, and that nobody's worthy of what they have, that's the pharisaical spirit that's still well alive in the church, I remember a couple of years back, there was a guy to McDonald's, and I had a friend that witnessed this himself, there was a guy to McDonald's of a church that's near, near in Montreal, and he literally was sitting with a group of teenagers, telling them, God's going to send you to hell if you keep doing that, you're going to go straight to hell, and, 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 and the, man, the man who's a dear friend, of mine went and interrupted and he said hey, hey hey it's the kindness of the lord that leads to repentance jesus didn't go around saying hey god's gonna send you to hell he said he the bible says he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he's saying everything heaven has to offer is here to help you with but you need to first repent so yes, we talk about sin. I'm going to talk about uh, uh, one of the motivations for soul winning is the reality of hell. But we don't, we 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 don't, we we're not trying to, to to to, you know, crap on people. 
for lack of better words. The Bible says the ministry of reconciliation is to tell the people, God's not counting that against you. He's forgiven you. He's nailed the handwriting of requirements, the certificate of debt uh, to the cross. He's obliterated the sin that kept you bound, but you have to receive it today. And God's best is, 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 is for you. God doesn't want you to keep, uh, ha, uh, keep burdened by the, 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 the colossal weight of sin. God wants to set you free today. He wants to heal you today. He wants to mend that broken heart. That's the message of reconciliation. That's the word of reconciliation. So it's really not that hard to minister to people. You find out what's their what, what's burdening them? What's the, what, what has sin done in their life? And everybody has something that sin has done in their life. Whether it's a financial burden, whether it's a physical burden, whether it's a, a mental burden, they're depressed. You tell them, if you're depressed, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. You just have to come to Christ and he'll break the chains of depression off your life. He'll fill you with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And you'll see... Well, that's what Jesus did everywhere he traveled. He just met the needs of the people. So identify the needs of the people. To the woman at the well, he was the seventh man. He came and said, all that is is just a, a basket that has holes in it. When you put your water in, it just drains through. But I'm the water of everlasting life. When he came to the, the leper, he was the healer to him. When he came to the centurion, he was the deliverer for his servant. When he came to, to the woman with the issue of blood, he was the, the cessation of her physical infirmity. When he came to the woman that was bound uh, by rheumatoid arthritis, probably, she was bent over double. He loosed her and let her go. He was the mighty deliverer of the oppression of the devil. So you just have to find out what the need of the person is. You realize that that need's been met in Christ and then tell them what Jesus did for them and then pray and loose them from that that aff, uh, affliction hallelujah so moving on now then we are ambassadors for christ as though god were pleading through us so i want to stop there and say god pleads through us god does not plead apart from us god pleads through us we have the ministry of reconciliation we have the task of reconciling the world to himself we implore you paul said on christ's behalf be reconciled to god you are born a sinner the first time, but you're born again a soul winner the second time. And if you have no desire to see people saved, Charles Spurgeon used to say, I wonder if you yourself are saved. If you have no desire to see people taste and see of the goodness of the Lord that you have profited from, that you have benefited from, then you're either twisted in your mind or you're not saved. Jesus' mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Not rebuild a relationship with local government. Not join the Red Cross and provide humanitarian effort. Although all those things he did do. He fed the people. He, he, he said clothe the naked. He said feed the hungry. He said visit those in prison. So we do those things. And James says pure and undefiled religion is taking care of widows and orphans. We do those things. We fed 100 kids a year last year. Uh, through this ministry every single day a hundred kids every day eight because of how God's blessed this ministry we've been able to provide that way so we don't ignore those things but the motivation of Jesus coming to earth wasn't to clothe you so you can go to hell clothed it wasn't to help you financially so you can go to hell rich the motivation of Jesus was to come and preach the gospel to the poor not be a motivator 
uh, for self-development and self-help and mental, you know, mental well-being. It was to break the chains of sin and make sure that people have right relationship with God. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life and then they're on their way to heaven. The gospel is not a message to make unhappy people happy. Its primary focus is not to make uh, financially poor people materially rich. The gospel is designed to make dead men live, oppressed people free, sick people healed, sinners into saints, apostates turned to apostles. That's what God sent Jesus to do. The Bible says the Son of God was made manifest so that he might destroy the work of the devil. Destroy the work of the devil. But God can't destroy the work of the devil that people have set up in their lives unless people speak the message. An unpreached gospel is no gospel at all. The good news, the gospel is good news and it must be preached as breaking news. A gospel that is not spoken will not profit anybody. It won't profit anybody. We love to pray. We pray for sinners to come to Christ. But we don't just pray. And prayer is not a substitute to preaching. There's a lot of preachers that cowered in their office and they just say, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying for revival. You don't pray for revival. You preach and contend for revival. You know, and if anyone's ever heard of Charles Finney and you've studied his, the revival, the great awakening that happened through his ministry in, in Rochester, New York, is where it began. He was invited to a church uh, to fill a pulpit for a couple of weeks or months or whatever. And so he, at first, refused the invitation because he thought Rochester, New York, was too dark and too hard ground to, to, to sow the seed of the gospel in, that it, his time would be better spent preaching elsewhere where he thought he would be more fruitful. And the Lord rebuked him and said, no, go. So he went and he got his, he had his two team, uh, his two members of his team that they literally rented an apartment and in that apartment, they prayed like 24 hours a day. They just woke up and prayed. When they went to bed, they slept, and then they woke up again and prayed. So they prayed. So don't get me wrong. I'm not devaluing the value of prayer. We pray. We fast and pray in preparation for what God wants to do through us. But Charles Finney got into that church, and I, this is what he did. He, he, every single night, seven days a week, he preached, and on Sundays, he preached three times, and he did that for many weeks before there was ever even a convert that came to the altar, and he kept on pressing through, and he kept preaching. He kept sowing the seed until the grass was green and the sheep started to come, and then the first convert, the first sinner that came to Christ was a very influential woman. When she came to Christ... She ended up bringing the full community there and then began one of the great awakenings that happened because not somebody just prayed and sang prophetic worship over the city. No, they prayed and then he preached every single day. I, I'm going to tell you the recipe of revival for revival, a very practical way to have revival. Go to a city, rent out. This is what we did in, in northern Saskatchewan. We rented out the main hall and we just stayed there until we started to see people come to Christ. You stay, you preach every single day and the word can never return void. Pastors, if you're watching right now, have, have three-week meetings where you're, where you're just gonna preach every single night. Not have prayer meetings alone. Preach every single night. 
Have invitations to bring out the sick and the lame and the paralyzed. And then fast and pray throughout the day to see the, to, to see the captives set free. And I guarantee you, in three weeks, your church will never be the same again. In three weeks, you'll have such an addition of souls coming to the Lord daily, you won't even recognize your church. It's not complicated. It's not, it's not hard. It's not difficult. It's very simple. The disciples went everywhere and preached the gospel, and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs accompanying them. The Bible says in Ezekiel 22.30, that um, Ezekiel 22.30, the scripture says, I sought for a man that would stand in the gap and rebuild the walls of righteousness, but I found none. So God is looking for somebody that's going to stand in the gap and rebuild the walls of righteousness. Well, how do you do that? By speaking the word of righteousness. Second Chronicles 16.9, one of my favorite verses. The Bible says, The Lord's eyes look to and fro throughout the entire world, seeking one whose heart is loyal to him, that he might show himself strong on his behalf. Ezekiel 3.18 says, When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, but you give him no warning. So the Bible says God works with men. Second, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 3. It says we are co-laborers with God. People are God's field. People are God's building. But we are co-laborers with God. And so it's not God, we pray send revival sovereignly. Oh God, we pray save this one and that one. It's God, we pray that you would use me. Instead of saying, Lord, send revival, we should be praying, Lord, teach me to cooperate intelligently with your spirit so that I can be an agent of change in my city and nation so that I can be a vessel for honorable use so that you can get your work done wherever you want it done. Ezekiel 3.18, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that that same man, that wicked man will die in his iniquity. Well, what happens if people don't hear the gospel? They go to hell, and that I don't say that in any joy. It's, it's one of the saddest truths of the Bible, but it's true. If people don't hear the message of salvation, there's no blood to atone for their sins, and they're in their sin. They're dead in their sin, and they'll die in their sin. The Bible says if you don't warn him, that same man will die in his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. That's why I started off by saying we need to sense the duty and responsibility that God has given us to be ministers of reconciliation. We have to sense this responsibility that it's not God do it. It's God empower me to get it done. It's not, Lord, we trust you. You'll do your will. It's Lord, empower me to do your will. We are, uh, his blood, the Bible says, I'll require your hand. Lester Sumrall tells the vision of, before he became an evangelist, he had a vision, an open vision. He didn't even know it was fake until, I, like, like it wasn't real. Like it wasn't, uh, not that it wasn't fake, it was fake, but it wasn't like tangible. He thought what he was seeing was real. It was so real, it was so vivid for him. It was like a lucid dream almost. Like he just, he thought it, this was this was happening around him. And uh when he when he started to see this this vision, he saw people on this like this massive highway, all kinds of skin colors, all nations, all tribes of the earth, and they were all flowing into this 
this smoky lake of fire and they fell one by one and he smelt the smell of human flesh and he, it was disgusting and he went and looked over and there were people just drowning in this lake of fire and he cried out, God, save them. God, do something. Make it stop. And all of a sudden as he, did the, as he said those words, blood began to gush from his hands and now he was really freaking out. I mean, he had blush just gushing from his, blood just gushing from his hands and he said, Lord, make it stop. Make it stop. He was in fear and torment as to what was happening to him and the Lord said unless you go and tell them their blood is on your hands their blood is on your hands why do you think if, if God was just going to save anybody and there was nothing we had to do about it why did I go to Toronto this weekend why do I do Hope Fest Crusades why are we planning one in Montreal why do I have plans to do it in Saskatoon why do I have plans to do it everywhere the Lord would open up the door to do it why aren't I just sitting at home around my pool sipping a virgin pina colada and just watching my kids swim why am I on the go why did Jesus say you're to take the cross and bring it to the nations of the earth why did he just why didn't he just say hey now that I'm going trust me to do my will you guys sit and you be at ease I'm gonna get it done you just you know you've done everything that I required you to do no he said the opposite now that I'm going you go you're my delegates you know the Bible says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it do you know what the church means it's ecclesia it literally means uh, the called out ones and the delegation of troops sent from heaven that's what we are we've been called out but not called out to just watch the world burn in the fires of hell but to now be a delegation of troops sent from heaven to to to, to share the same message that saved our souls hallelujah we need to feel that burden for our generation. David saw Goliath and heard Goliath's word. And he just said, wasn't it a shame? Oh, we're going to pray God raises someone else up to do something about it. No. He looked around and saw nobody doing anything about it. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. What's the reward if I kill this guy? Hey, your family's tax-free and you'll, the king's going to give you his daughter as your wife. Wow, that's great. I've seen her. She's kind of cute. He went and got five stones and then... He dealt. He took the garbage out. He took the trash out. Instead of complaining about the societal changes that we've seen, I can't believe they're doing that in schools. I can't believe that they're letting drag queens do library hour at school, which it's all disgusting and reprehensible. But instead of just complaining about it, why? And then, you know, going to advocate about everything else. That's what Christians have become. The gospel and the burden of the gospel has become task, task number four on the task list. First, it's like, uh, uh, I'm an advocate for this. I'm an advocate for that. I'm an activist for this. I'm an activist for that. And we've totally distanced ourselves from the main form of activism that we're supposed to have. And that is to be an advocate for Jesus Christ on the earth. Hallelujah. Abortion is bad. It's awful. It's terrible. But what's going to get a woman not to get an abortion is not by telling them you're an ugly thing. It's, it's by telling her the love of of the gospel and what God's done for us and having the gospel transform their hearts. It's not making them you know, feel bad about everything they do even though it's wicked and reprehensible. What's going to get people to stop shooting each other? It's not new gun laws. You know, you make abortion illegal and we're praying for that because that's at least a step in the right way. But you make abortion illegal, they're still going to do it. 
Because it has to be a heart change. And only the seed of the gospel can produce the harvest of transformation in the life of men and women throughout humanity. Romans 10, listen to this. This is a, a, a crucial scripture for what I'm saying today. It's going to be like the theme verse for this entire broadcast. Romans 10, listen to this. Verse, let's start with verse, verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek... For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Beautiful. We've established that. Verse 14. Paul says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe on Christ? How are they going to call on Christ if they've never believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not even heard about? How can you believe? You can't believe in something that you don't know exists. I always use this in reference to healing. People can't believe God for healing if they don't believe they don't even know healing exists in God's hands. You won't believe beyond what you know is available. And so Paul is saying, how can they call if they don't believe? And then furthermore, how can they believe if they've never even heard? And how shall they hear without someone telling them? Without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So Romans 10 says, you can't expect people to get saved around you if people aren't, if you and others like you are not opening your mouths to share the message of salvation. In Ephesians 1, it says, you were saved after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. So salvation is the byproduct of hearing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Acts chapter 10. Jesus, uh, God, God sends an angel to Cornelius' household as he's praying and fasting. And he was a good man. He did good things. He was devout. The Bible says devout, devoted to God. But he wasn't saved because he didn't know about the cross. He didn't know about the blood of Jesus. He didn't know about that part. He only knew uh, about Judaism and, and, and that God was going to send a Messiah one day. But he didn't know anything else. And so he's praying and fasting at the ninth hour of the day. And an angel comes to him and says, Cornelius, your prayers and your giving has been remembered before God. And now I'm telling you, send for the city of Joppa. There's a man called Peter. And he's dwelling at the, in the house called Simon the Tanner. And I want you to send for him. Notice how the angel didn't come and say, hey, Cornelius, you've been praying. God sent me here. Here's the gospel. I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. You're going to get saved right now. You ready for this? You ready for this golden nugget of truth? It's not what the angel did because angels aren't commissioned to preach the gospel. There will be one angel in all of history that will preach the gospel. And that's in the seven years of tribulation where the angel of God is going to Go across the earth, the Bible says, preaching and proclaiming the everlasting gospel. But until then, there's no angel, and there's never been an angel, that has preached the gospel to a man. Angels are sent to be ministers to help those that preach the gospel. But they do not preach the gospel themselves. They don't have that privilege. They don't have that assignment or responsibility. But angels come and help those that do preach the gospel. Peter was a preacher of the gospel. Peter was praying and fasting at the same hour he had a vision of gentiles coming to christ and so at the same same exact moment cornelius the gentile had a vision of an angel saying go and hear what peter has to say to you actually i want to i want to actually go to acts 10 and i'm going to show you because i've highlighted it specifically in my bible how many times 
The angel says, you'll hear words by which you'll be saved. So it's not preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, amen? That's such bull poo-poo. That is terrible. That is such bad theology, it's not found anywhere in the Bible. The gospel, the very word gospel means good news. News can't be shit. I can't come to you and just hug you and be joyful. Hey, what's up? Why are you so happy? You'd think I belong in a loony bin. It's not just hugging people. It's not hugs and kisses. It's telling people the, 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 the sin, the penalty of sin, the consequence of sin has been dealt with. Jesus Christ bore on himself the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us so that the blessing of God might come on us. So this is what he says, Acts 10, Acts 10 verse 6. He will tell you, talking about Peter, the angel speaking, he will tell you what you must do. Go down to verse 20, verse 22. And Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who feared God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you and to hear words from you. Not to summon you to get a hug, to hear words from you. So Cornelius was waiting. He called all his friends and relatives together, the Bible says, his closest friends. Peter comes in and... Uh, Listen to what happens. Cornelius tells, now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. To hear, to hear. Jesus came to speak, to preach, to teach, and then he demonstrated his power to hear. They came to hear him and be healed by him. Then Peter opened up his mouth and spoke, Acts 10, 34. Hallelujah. Verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. So the people will never enjoy the peace of Jesus Christ until you preach the gospel of peace that comes only through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So prayer can never replace the actual preaching of the gospel. Acts 8, Philip goes out to Samaria and he preaches Christ to the people. He preaches Christ to the people. Let me, let me read something to you out of T.L. Osborne's book, Soul Winning, that struck a chord in my heart. T.L. Osborne believes, this is what he wrote, that the committee of Christians will write the last glorious chapter of the church in action as they rediscover the first century soul winning principles and emulate their example by sharing Christ and his love with the unconverted world. It was in the fourth now, the, the early church was very passionate and zealous about soul winning. It was in the fourth century church that the fire of evangelism dwindled out. And it wasn't until the 18th century with Charles Grandison Finney where evangelism began to be, become the focus of the church again. And so I, I always say this because I heard this from a preacher once, and it's so true. It's prophetic in nature. This, the life of Samson is an image of the history of the church. Samson received the anointing, did many exploits in the anointing, but then through compromise, forfeited the anointing and got distracted and off track. But at the end of his life, when he had been gay, his eyes had been gouged out and he was bound and he was just uh, an object of mockery and the, the Philistines were just mocking him and, 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 uh, and throwing tomatoes at him and doing all that. The Bible says he prayed a prayer and he said, God, one last time, one last time before I die, I don't want to go this way. One last time, 
Give me a victory. And so God's anointing came back on Samson, which is a type of the church. And he pulled the, he pulled the pillars apart. And in Samson's death, there were more, more Philistines that were killed in his death than his entire life. And I believe that's a picture of the church. That yes, we had a great start. But throughout history, things dwindled down. But in these last hundred years, we've seen the Pentecostal outpouring stir up a fresh zeal in the people of God. And I believe Jesus is coming back very soon. And the church isn't going out as some broken, dilapidated, bruised, blind, and and disgusting thing. He said he's coming back for a glorious bride without spot and without wrinkle, which bride we are, the church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see more souls won in our exit from this world than we've seen in the entire history of the church. That, my friend, I believe is what's going to be the final chapters of the church. It's not going to be us becoming less relevant or God moving less on the earth. We're about to see the greatest move of God on the earth through men and women like you and I and the exodus of the church from planet earth. We'll see more souls harvested in the coming years before Christ comes than we've seen in the entire history of the church. The Bible talks about this in Amos chapter 9. There's going to be an acceleration of the harvest. He says the sower of seed is going to be overtaken by the harvester. And he that harvests grapes that, uh, from he that treads on the ground, the Bible says there's going to be an acceleration of this. That before people even have the time to sow another seed, the harvest is just coming in and excel- in an accelerated manner. These are exciting days, church. And that's why I'm doing this broadcast to mobilize people into the harvest fields. There are many avenues. You know, you might say, well, I don't have a, I, I don't have a church. Or I, don't, you know, I don't know how to get started in soul winning. There's so many avenues that you can become effective in soul winning today, here and now. Social media, so easy. It's free. YouTube's free. You can start doing broadcasts right now if you wanted to. It's free. Social media. You can pull up your phone and and, uh, take a video of yourself preaching the gospel. Put it up as an Instagram reel. Instagram reels are like, Instagram is so hungry right now. The algorithm towards the reels. You can post anything. Even if you have six followers, you'll have hundreds of views on it. Hundreds of views. Because the algorithm is so designed to eat up that type of content. So take advantage of it. Take it, go. Well, I don't know what to say. Tell your testimony. You can't get it wrong. It's your testimony. Nobody can say you said it wrong. YouTube broadcasts, free. And if you're not gifted in doing that, write a book. You can write a book and publish a book. That's a method. It's a media that you can use to get the word out. One-on-one evangelism in the streets. Just tell someone, you see someone waiting at a bus stop, instead of just saying, hey, the weather's nice today, and just that like boring talk, tell them, the weather might be nice today, but you know what's nicer? And then tell the gospel. Music, some people are gifted and talented in, in, in music, writing lyrics. God has put specific giftings in you, not for the edification of yourself or worldly corporations or self-ambitions, but it's for the advancement of the church primarily. You might work at a secular company. There's nothing wrong with that and you're making good money and all that, but your giftings that God's put in you is not primarily to advance the agenda of some worldly corporation. The gifting that God put on you, the talent, was to be first and foremost used to the glory of God. Put God first, especially in this area. So I want to go through today 
And I'm going to go through them quickly. Five biblical motivations for soul winning. The reason why I want to talk about biblical motivations is because you'll never do something if you've not clearly defined your why you're doing that thing. The why as to what you're doing is what determines whether you'll be faithful in the what. A lot of people know the what to do. I know I have to win souls. But they don't know why they have to do it or they have no biblical motivation in doing it. And so they endure for a little while, but then they, 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 they stop. They lose that first love. They stop doing the work because they haven't discovered the why. The why is literally the engine that'll keep you running even when you navigate through difficult terrain. A lot of people give up the moment they see challenge. Well, I tried, you know, I tried speaking the gospel to someone. They weren't interested. The next guy wasn't interested. So I just said, maybe it's not my gifting. First of all, you don't have to ask God, Lord, am I called to do this? If you're saved, you're called to do this. We established that earlier in the broadcast. You don't have to ask God, Lord, should I be a soul winner? You don't have to have a special call. You don't have to believe God and fast and pray, Lord. You just reveal this to me if this is something I should do. If you are saved, it's something you should be doing. And when you understand the why, it'll be the engine that'll keep you going even if you navigate challenges and other hindrances or obstacles that might get in your way. So what are the five biblical motivations for soul winning? Number one, it is commanded. And I, 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 it's sad that I have to go beyond this, but it's the reality for many people. They don't, you know, why do I have to get baptized? Because Jesus said to get baptized. Oh, yeah, but I mean, I don't, I'm not saved if I'm baptized. Jesus said, they that believe and are baptized will be saved. When you believe, you'll have a desire to be baptized. Get baptized. If you're not baptized, here's a word for you. Get baptized. If you can't follow the very basic commands, commandments of Christ, you're never going to move on to follow the rest. Even Jesus himself was baptized and was baptized in the Jordan. He didn't have to get baptized. He did it to fulfill all righteousness and as an example towards those that would follow him. So the Bible says in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, the Great Commission, Jesus, his final words before leaving planet Earth and ascending. You know, the most important words a man will speak are his final words, the final will and testament. You know, a lot of people, they get around someone on their deathbed and he says a final word, she says a final word, and people remember that. They never, they never forget that. And that's what it was for Jesus. Although he didn't die, he was, being, he was ascending. He had already raised from the dead. He was ascending on high, but his final words were actually the same as his first words. That's how much of an emphasis Jesus put on soul winning. His first words in the ministry towards Peter was, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And his final words were, now go out into all the world, preach this gospel, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, and make them baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I'm with you always. That's the great commission. Mark 16 reiterates it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And these signs will follow you as you believe and obey. You will lay hands on the sick. Well, why am I not laying hands? Why am I not seeing sick people healed in my ministry? Why am I not seeing uh, demons cast out? Because you haven't done the very first thing. Go and preach the gospel to them. And these signs will follow those that have faith enough to follow the instruction of preaching the gospel. They'll lay hands on the sick. And the sick shall recover. They will cast out demons. They will pick up dirt, uh, deadly serpents and it will not harm them. So it's a command. God said, preach the gospel. No further word is needed. If God said it, I believe it. That settles it. I'm moving. God didn't call you to warm a pew every Sunday until Jesus comes. He, he saved you to get to work. You're not saved by works, but you're saved to get to work. 
The Great Commission is not a great suggestion. It's not, hey, by the way, if you get bored, here are some things you can do. Hey, by the way, if, if, uh, if you'd like a little extra blessing, here's something I've put like as extracurricular activity. You know how the teacher used to say, by the way, if you want uh, plus 10 on your next exam, if you'll go out and do this, this, and show pictures to your teacher that you did those things, I'll give you 10 more percent on your next exam. That's not the Great Commission. That's not what Jesus was saying. He put an emphasis on it. Go. He didn't say pray for them to come. He said pray and then go. You pray and you preach. If all you had was one leg, you'd go in circles. You pray and you preach. You, you don't just pray and you don't just preach. Because if you preach without praying, you're not going to have the anointing and the substance that's needed to actually draw people to Christ. You pray and then you preach. I don't feel called. General William Booth, the Salvation Army founder, he said, not called, not heard the call, you should say. Put your ear to the Bible and hear the cries of a lost and dying humanity. I'm a full, I want you to write this in the comment section. I'm a full-time soul winner and a part-time everything else. I'm a full-time soul winner and a part-time everything else. And you'll have people that'll say, you know, you should really keep your, belie your beliefs to yourself. You can tell them. Point them to Matthew 28, 19 and say, it's against my religion to keep my beliefs to myself. It's too good to not share. Look, I'm an evangelist. I was wired to share good news. I, I literally, and it doesn't just go with spiritual things. Everything in my life, I love sharing good news. Uh, if I buy something for my wife and I, 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 I can't keep it, I have to share it with her. If I, if I hear some good news, I have to share good news. I love sharing good news. I love to see people's reaction to good news. I love seeing people embrace good news. I love it. And so the gospel is the best news. It's too good to just sit on it. You know, there were four lepers in the Old Testament and they, uh, Samaria had been besieged and they were sitting on the outskirts of the city and the Bible says they came to themselves and they said, you know, the city's in starvation. People are literally boiling their children and eating them. It was very nasty what was happening. They had an economic disaster because of an army that had cut off their food supply and water supply. And so they said, why sit we here until we die? Why am I just gonna sit here and, 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 and just decay? If we sit here, we'll die. If we go out to the Assyrian army that was besieging the city and they kill us, we'll die anyways. We might as well try. Let's go out and see and beg the Assyrians to keep us alive. So they went out and to, 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 not to their knowledge, they, they, uh, the Assyrian army had fled because God had caused the, the, the noise of chariots to be heard and they thought that the Israelites had hired the uh, Egyptians and the Hittites against them. So they fled. And so these four lepers now, had, they went from having the worst day in their life to the best day in their life. They started to take the spoil of war. They had wine there. They had oil. They had riches, silver, gold, all the garments. They were taking it and they were going to hide it away. And then one of them realized, hey, 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 it's not good what we're doing here. Today is a day of good news. And if we don't share it, he said, something bad's going to happen to us. Let's go back and share this news. That was good news. The gospel's the best news. It's a good day of good news. And it's a shame that we keep our lips sealed. God, Jesus said, go ye therefore. Don't hoard the gospel for yourself and for your family while the world around you is in a handbasket on its way to hell. See your, 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 that you are ordained. See the commission as your personal responsibility to tell others of the very same thing that Jesus did for you. Number two, motivation for biblical, uh, biblical motivation for soul winning. Jesus, our master, was a soul winner. 
Everywhere he went, he was winning souls. And the Bible says we're to imitate Christ and imitate God as beloved children. Jesus was God in the flesh. So the woman at the well, what did he do? He could have just gone and got some water there. Instead, hey, I've got water that you can drink of that you will never experience elsewhere. And it's a water that when you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. What? Give me this water. I don't, keep, I don't want to keep coming to this well. And he said, no, the water I'm talking about is a wellspring of life that's going to burst, burst open from within your heart. And she was curious. And then he began by the word of knowledge to divulge information to her because the gifts of the Spirit are tools to get the work of the Spirit done. The work of the Spirit is evangelist, evangelism. The gifts of the Spirit is the tools necessary for effective evangelism. Jesus operated by the gifts of the Spirit. He told her everything she had ever done. She was astonished. This man told me everything I've ever done. And she went back and she became an evangelist. She told the whole city, come and hear a man that has told me everything I've ever done. And they came, sat at the feet of Jesus, and the whole city had experienced revival because of that. Jesus was a soul winner. In the marketplaces, in the country, in the city, everywhere he went, he was drawing people to himself. His very purpose and his main focus was to... To reach the lost. The Bible says, for this purpose have I come. For this cause was I born, that I might preach. The Bible calls him the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You know, in Luke 15, he talks about the parable of the lost sheep. And he identifies himself as the, the great shepherd of the sheep. And he says, when I lose one sheep, I don't stay with the 99. I go after the one that got away. There's too many pastors, and if you're a pastor watching right now, remember, Paul told Timothy, you're to do the work of an evangelist. So you say, oh, this is just an evangelistic heart. You know, we don't have to do that. Do the work of an evangelist. Jesus said, the good shepherd, the good pastor, he leaves the 99 to go after the one that got away. And when he's found him, he puts him on his shoulders and he rejoices for the lost sheep has come home. Too much of what happens in the church revolves around Polishing the nine coins. You know, he tells the parable in the Luke 15 as well. Of the woman that had ten coins, she lost one. She swept her whole house. She neglected the other nine to go and find the one that got away. And when she finds it, she rejoices. Too much of church right now revolves around polishing the nine coins and entertaining the, nine, the 99 sheep when Jesus' primary mission was to go, and out, go out and reach the ones that had fallen away. Conferences in Western churches. I mean, when's the last time you attended a conference or a revival week that was solely dedicated upon the mobilization of the church into the harvest fields? They're not that. What is it? It's self-development. You know, how to, seven keys to a better you. 14 ways you can develop better relationships. All of that, it's nice. You know, I preach, I preach about uh, I, I, I've dealt with certain of those things, but that's not my core message. The core message of the church isn't, here's how to better you, or, you know, uh, things have been rough, here's how you can cope with what's been going on. The core message of the church is evangelism and mobilization. When's the last time you attended a conference where the entire subject matter was Tools for evangelism, how to operate in the gifts for evangelism, how to see people saved, how to tell your testimony, how to preach the gospel, how to, to cooperate with the fire of God to see people set free. A lot of Western Christian Christianity is, is just self-development and it's psychology and mental help and all that stuff. And it's, it's literally the church that's suffering as a result, the edification of the church that's suffering as a result. Jesus, our 
model, our, 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 our model, our teacher, our master modeled his, his, uh, his life by making evangelism the primary focus. And that's motivation number two. In uh, biblical motivation for evangelism. Jesus, not only did he command it, Jesus did it and we're to imitate Christ. Number three, motivation for evangelism. Hell is real. Hell is real. Luke chapter 16, listen to this. So hell, the reality of hell, the fact that there's an eternal place of torment, it should be enough to get you off your chair today and tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, there was this atheist, I forget his name, but he challenged the Christians in England and he said, if you Christians really believe there's an eternal place of torment and suffering and you're not, you're not doing anything about it, you guys are twisted. You know what he said? If I believed in your faith, I would literally cross. I would cross hell. I, I, I would cross the entirety of England. If England was filled with shards of glass... I would cross the entirety of England on my knees to make one convert. Let me just block someone. For some reason I can't find it. Anyways, I got to make moderators on, moderators on YouTube. He said, I'd cross the entirety of England on, on my knees with shards of glass under me to win one convert for Jesus Christ. Because he said, if, if hell really exists, there's no, way, there's no way I'd let anybody spend eternity there. Listen to this, Luke 16, 19. This is not a parable. This is a real story. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water so that he might cool my tongue, for I am in torment because of these flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus of his evil things. But now he is comf comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from there to us cannot, and those from uh, here cannot pass to you. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five, I have five brothers that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. So he said to them, if they do not repent after hearing Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one should even rise from the dead. Though one should even rise from the dead. People say the worst thing about hell is going to be eternal separation from God. 
I beg to differ. Because the rich man in hell wasn't saying, God, I miss your presence. He was saying, can you send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and put it on the tip of my tongue so I can have a temporary, momentary relief from the agony that I'm experiencing from these flames? Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse one, Jude chapter 1 verse 23 says that other people we should save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. You know, I talked about how we don't, we don't, uh, we don't tell people, hey, you know, you keep doing that. You're going straight to hell. You're going to go straight to hell. That's not how you would evangelize the people. You tell them the gospel, but you never ignore the reality of hell. Jesus preached more on hell than he preached on heaven. Jude says that we are to, with other people. Some people won't hear. God has good things for you. They don't, they don't believe that. They don't hear that. But some people, the Bible says we are to save with fear. How? By pulling them out of the fire of hell. That telling them that hell's a real place. You're on your way to an eternal place of doom and gloom. Of darkness that can even be felt. And on, the Bible says unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Hell's not a fairy tale place. Hell is not even just a scare tactic. Hell is a real place. Revelation chapter 20. Listen to this. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away from. And there was found no place for them. And I, sent, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. And I saw another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were uh, judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up or delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. So everyone that died at sea, everyone that died by fire, everyone that died and was buried in the ground and they're, they're just dust now, they're all going to be formed back together and they're going to appear before God. And the Bible says... That the books will be open and death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And everyone not found it written, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hell was not made for people. It was made for the devil and it was made for those that... Uh, allied with the devil in his rebellion against, he against heaven. It was made for the devil and demons, fallen angels. Heaven was made for you. Jesus said, I've come to, I, I'm going back to heaven to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you, but now I'm going up to prepare a place for you. There's a place in heaven with your name on, written on it. Hell was made for the devil. The Bible says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. But those that reject God, being disobedient, and the Bible says, have denied the Holy One who was sent to save them, those that the scripture says have deliberately gone on sinning even after hearing the message of the truth, it's not that God sends them to hell, their very own works have judged them in the day of judgment. Remember, it says here, the dead are judged according to their works. Their very own works and response to the gospel 
is what, is what sends them to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there because they deliberately reject the message of salvation. The devil doesn't even have power to send people to hell. The devil's voted against you. God's voted for you by sending his son Jesus. He's demonstrated his love towards us. That while we were still in sin, Christ came to die for us. But it's man... The Bible says in John 3 that men love darkness more than light for their deeds were evil. And so the Bible says the worst thing about hell is not going to be, you know, um, it's going to be a little less happy there than in heaven. The Bible says there will be a flame that never dies out. We just read it, the lake of fire. The Bible says that there's going to be a worm that never dies, a maggot. And if you've never heard Bill Weiss or Weiss's testimony, you should go and listen to it. He has a book on, on hell. Uh, was it 23 Minutes in Hell? It's, it's a crazy story, and it's real. And you know it's real because he didn't die or, or whatever. No, he didn't die. He had a vision of it. He didn't have that vision and then come back uh, to reality and you know did nothing with it. By the fruit of that man's life, you can, you can know that the vision was genuine. And you can tell there's something in his eyes when he speaks on hell. It's not something that he just made up to get a ministry. You can tell there's a weight on his words. And he talks about the maggots that were eating away at the flesh of people that he saw. And there was nothing they could do about it. And, they're, and, and they never stopped. They never stopped. The Bible says, bind him hand and foot. Matthew twenty two thirteen. 13, cast him into out of darkness. Hell is a place of darkness. The Bible says in Matthew 8, 12, it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping because of the pain and gnashing of teeth because of the pain. Sometimes when someone's in real bad pain or, you know, like you, they have to cut someone's limb off or whatever and they don't have anesthetics to, to dull the pain, they put something in their mouth to get them to bite down on because they're going to bite down regardless. But if the pain's too hard or too high, the pain level's too high, they'll literally grind their teeth. And the Bible says there's going to be gnashing of teeth. There's not going to be a towel you can put in your mouth. It's going to be gnashing of teeth. Jesus literally is talking about this, A, to tell people it's a place you don't want to go to, but B, to motivate his disciples, it's a place you shouldn't want others to go through either. You know, there's two ways God will uh, alleviate pain in a, in a physical body. One, it's through death. The person dies of pain. Two, it's their nervous system shuts down. There's no, none of that in hell. The nervous system will never shut down. You're, it'll be an eternal feeling. There's a million ways into that place of torment. And once you're there, there's not one way out. That's why we have to tell them of the way out now. Because as long as they're alive, there's only one way out. Jesus said, I am the way to salvation. C.T. Studd used to say, a lot of people want to plant a church. Or not plant a church. They want to live within a yard of a church bell ringing. He said, I want to plant a rescue mission one foot from the pit of hell. Hell should motivate you. That's what Paul said. Knowing the terror of the Lord, I do work hard to persuade men. I work hard. You know how many of you know it's not about working hard. It's about resting in him. Paul didn't seem to think that. He said, I work hard. He said, I run in such a way. He said, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. He actually says in Romans, 
And this is, this is a high level of love. He said, I so hate hell. And no one, anyone to spend there, spend their eternity there. He said, I would, that I myself would be accursed. That I would go there. If it meant my brethren, according to the flesh. If it meant my countrymen, the Jews, being saved. That was his heart. He says in Romans 1, necessity is laid on me to the barbarian and to the Greek, to the rich and the poor. So as much as is in me, I will travel and preach. He said necessity is laid on me. Yes, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. In the story I just read in Luke chapter 16, the rich man had three cries. One, he cried for relief and mercy from the pain. He didn't get it. The second cry that people in hell are constantly day and night lifting their voice out, uh, from is number two cry is that they would be more laborers sent in the harvest field. He said, send someone to my family. Send someone to my family. You remember Jesus said not to pray for the harvest, but to pray to the Lord of the harvest to dispatch workers into the harvest fields. That's the number two cry in hell is God If we're not allowed out of here, there's more cries for evangelism in hell, I'm afraid to say, than in many churches. It's very sad that there's more zeal and passion to reach the lost in hell than there is in a lot of churches. There's more tears shed for the lost in hell than there is shed in a lot of churches and in a lot of Christians. And that ought not to be. Send someone to my brothers, he cried. And number three, the cry was that they might not come to this place of agony, that they might be saved. The cry to have salvation come to the lost, lest they come to the place of torment. Number four, so number three, biblical motivation for hell, uh, for, 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 for soul winning, is the reality of hell. Don't, don't just hear about what I spoke on hell and let it not move you. Let it move you. He said, Paul said, knowing this, I have this as my ambition, to be well-pleasing to the Lord, to open up my mouth and speak, no matter where I'm at. That's why, why do you think Paul literally went through such torment on the earth? I mean, he's talking about shipwrecked often. He talked about how many times he got whips on his back, how many brutal beatings he got from the hands of the Jews, and he never stopped. He was like a Holy Ghost Terminator. He got beat up one place Such a beating, they thought he was dead. The disciples got around him, he got back up, and he went straight to the next town, and he encouraged others. Why? Why such a drive? Because he knew, if I don't do this now. See, I'd rather be, I'd rather people come to me and say, I hate you for telling me this. I'm offended by your gospel. Then, me in heaven, and them yelling, I hate you for never telling me this. I'm offended that you never told me this. I'd rather they hate me now than hate me forever. Because at least I told them. Number four, motivation for soul winning is that the harvest is plentiful and it's ripe. It's ripe. The devil tries to get people out of the harvest field and out of evangelism by telling them, you know, nobody's going to hear you. Nobody's, nobody's going to listen to you. Listen to what Jesus said. Total opposite. And I like to listen to Jesus. John chapter 4. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes now and look at the harvest. They're already ripe for harvesting. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for life eternal. So he says, don't wait another five months. 
Don't wait, you know, when things are more, conditions are more optimal, we'll get to it. He said, lift up your eyes now and look to the harvest. It's already ripe. If it was hard, if it was ripe when Jesus was roaming the earth, then it's a lot more ripe now. In each generation, God has called enough men to reach the harvest of that generation. It's not that God hasn't called people, it's that people have not responded to the call. You can't sit in your house as a farmer and say, Father, I pray, send the harvest in. No, you got to go out and sow the seed. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. And each man will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Christianity is not a call to rest. It's not a call to laziness, a call to just sit back and fold your hands and fold your legs over and just wait for the rapture. Christianity is a call to work. You are God's fellow workers, the Bible says. So, you, you know, if you don't see yourself as God's fellow worker, you're never going to see yourself important to God's plan. And that's what happens. How many of you know we're nothing and he's everything? He is everything, but he lives in you. And he's enabled and empowered you to do something and be something. You're not nothing. You're not some disposable pawn in God's plan and system. He doesn't really need you. God, I know people have a hard time hearing this, but God needs people to get his work done. Because God is spirit. He needs people to get his work done. Nehemiah saw the walls of Jerusalem burnt down. It grieved him. And he said, God, I'm up for the task. And the walls were built. And there were people that opposed them, Sanballat and Tobias. And they said, even if you build these walls, not even, even a fox coming on it will tumble it down. And they, they ignored the naysayers. They said, you'll have no part or play. But as for me, I've got a mission to keep. I've got a mandate to hold. I've got a commission from heaven. And a gospel to speak. You don't pray, God, you know, we, uh, if you'll just bring the harvest to us. Isaiah heard, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Not whom shall I send the harvest to. He said, who can I send into the harvest? And Isaiah said, Lord, use me. I want you to write that in the comment section as a, co as a, a comment of faith, a confession of faith. Lord, I am here. Use me. I'm here. Use me. I'm here. Use me. And don't look at the harvest and say they're a hard-hearted bunch. There's, you know, people, people always say, no, people are stupid. Christians say this. People are so stupid. People, I've caught myself saying that. And you know, I got rebuked the other day. Don't call the harvest that you're called to reach stupid. Don't berate the very harvest that you're called to reach. Because it'll actually eliminate your efficiency in soul winning and actually reaching the harvest. It'll, it'll actually disqualify you. It'll render you useless and ineffective in reaching it. The next time you feel like calling someone stupid, pray for them. And God would use you to reach them. Number four motivation for soul winning is that the harvest is ripe. Number five, and I'm finishing with this, is there is a reward. And this is my favorite part. There's a reward for soul winning. There's a reward. I want to start off with Proverbs 11. Proverbs chapter 11 and 24. Listen to this. There's, sorry, Proverbs 11, 25. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters others will himself be watered. 
the number one reward that heaven gives a person who's on the go winning souls is joy inexpressible. The Bible says when one sinner repents from the error of his way and turns to God, there's more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents than 99 that have no need of repentance. When you win someone to the Lord, you are watering heaven with joy. You're bringing joy to heaven. Heaven becomes happy. And because heaven's on the inside of you, you experience that joy. Because you water heaven with joy, heaven returns the, the, returns the, the blessing back to you and waters you with joy. Look at every soul winner. And they're all joyful people. I've never, I've yet to meet a soul winner that is a depressed person, a depressed individual. I, every, every single soul winner that I've met is bubbling with joy. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is not in meat and drink, it's in righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. And so when you share the kingdom with others, just like a tap, you turn it on, the spout gets the taste of the water first. When you share that righteousness, peace, and joy by the Holy Ghost with others, you get the taste of the peace and joy first. Rodney Howard Brown in Tampa, Florida, he's one of the happiest, joy just explodes in his meetings. The happiest bunch, I've met him, I've sat with him. He's not a sorrowful, uh, wallowing in mire type of individual. He's a happy man, happy man, a generous man. Why? Because everything he does is, 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 is uh, designed to win souls. Billy Graham was a happy man. Look at every interview he did. He's always laughing. He's always smiling. Every picture, he's smiling. Reinhard Bonnke was like a little child. He was so happy. He bubbled with joy. It, it oozed from him. Psalm 126 says, when the captives come back to Zion, they were like them that dream, and their mouths are filled with laughter. Filled with laughter. Every time I've given an altar call and souls come in, like on Sunday, 30 people giving their lives to Christ, I had the happiest afternoon ever. Happiest afternoon ever. Because that joy, as you water others, heaven. As you water heaven with it, heaven waters you. Number two, reward for soul winning. Is God heals you. And supernatural health comes on you. The Bible says in Exodus 23, 25, if you will serve the Lord your God, he'll bless your bread and your water and he'll take sickness out of your midst. He'll bless your bread and your water and take sickness out of the midst of you. Psalm 107, 20 says, he sent his word and it healed them. So when you're speaking that word, that same healing power that you're bringing to others first hits you and it generates health in you. You get the taste of the healing power first. Bible says he'll bless your bread and water and take sickness out of your midst. He won't even allow you to get sick in the first place. Heaven has, just like when you work for a company, there's a certain uh, health care package that they offer, depending on the company you work for. Heaven has a health care package that it offers those who work and, and serve heaven's, heaven's best interests. And it's not you have treatment when you get sick. It's I'll take sickness out of your midst so that you enjoy supernatural spring of healing and strength. There's no record of Jesus ever being sick. There's no record of the disciples ever even being sick. It's not like Peter was like, hey, Jesus, you go on ahead of me. I'm going to stay back at Capernaum. I got the sniffles and a blistering migraine headache. He'll just go ahead. You know, no. 
No record of the disciples being safe, uh, being sick. Can't bring healing to the masses like they did and not enjoy that healing yourself. The Bible says he anoints your head with oil to get the job done, but your cup runs over. It's not he gives you a little cup of oil so that you can pour it on some people. He anoints you so that your cup runs over, so that what you're ministering towards others is just an overflow of what God first and foremost put in you. I minister from the overflow. So if I'm called to minister healing to others, then I've got an overflow of health and healing from me, coming from within me, in Jesus' name. Number three, uh, benefit and reward for soul winning is financial peace. Financial peace. Luke 22, he sent the disciples out without anything. No gold, no money, no script, no nothing. And the Bible says in Luke 22, they returned and Jesus asked them, did you lack anything when I sent you out? They said, no. And Thomas was there, who's doubting Thomas. And so if there was a lack, he would have peeped up and said, actually, Jesus, uh, there were a few times where I went without a meal. He said, nothing. They didn't lack anything. You want to enter into the realm of no lack? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else people strive to obtain. Every other need people are trying to meet. Every, that's what Jesus was saying. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body for clothing and food, what you'll eat, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the lilies of the valley, how well they're clothed. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as, like, as one of these. And yet, I tell you the truth, God desires to so clothe you even more. But he says how to get into that, that level of financial abundance. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else people strive to obtain and worry about. It will be added to your account. Because when you put God first, you can never end up last. God will put you first. Ezekiel 36 I want to read this because it's, it's such a powerful, powerful sto uh, story that illustrates what I'm saying. Ezekiel 36 and verse 6. Actually, let's start at verse 2. So then Moses called Bezalel and Elhaliab. Thank God I'm named Timothy. And every gifted artisan and whose heart, who the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was steered to come and do his work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. They were tasked to make the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. And all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came. So there was a great work to accomplish. But Moses was like kind of concerned, how are we going to get this done? So they started to take up offerings for the work of the sanctuary. And what happened? So God, Mo, the people bring, this is it. So the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came from each of the work he was doing and they spoke to Moses saying, Moses, ever since we started doing this work, the people have brought much more enough for the service, much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses commanded them and said, that it be proclaimed throughout all the camp, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary and the people were restrained from bringing they had to stop them from giving. Why? For the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was way too much. Way too much. Hallelujah. They focused on the work of God. And God, like a magnet, ushered in an overflow of finances to get the work done. The Bible says God is able. This is New, New Testament now. God is able, Paul said, and I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and 11, God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that you have a sufficiency for all you need and an abundance for every good work. For every good work. Financial peace comes when you, 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 you give your life to, to soul winning. Number four reward would be answered prayers. Zechariah 7.13, one of the hindrances of, answer, of not receiving answers of prayers is, Zechariah 7.13 explains it. Because I've called, God said, and nobody heeded my command. They will call and I will not answer them. So God gave us a call to win the loss. And if you put off that call, the Bible says, he who turns his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 50, what right have you to take my word in your mouth, seeing that you've cast my instructions before you? We've been instructed to go and preach. And if we cast that instructed instructions behind us, the Bible says, even our prayers become an abomination to God. He said in Zechariah 7, you'll call and I won't even answer because you didn't fulfill the basic the basic, the basic uh, call that God has for every believer. So what's the solution to this? Well, I guess God will never answer my prayers. No. Start to tell people about Jesus. Start to tell people about Jesus. Start to share the message of the cross. Don't just pray. Go out and do something. That's why the disciples, why do you think Elijah... Elijah could pray for fire and fire fall immediately without any, without any hindrance. Because his mission was to turn the hearts of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. That's everything he did was to call the people to repentance. So because he used his life and he spent his life for that, he called fire down and it, fire came. When people came to arrest him, he said, God, take care of it. I call fire to consume them. Fire came. He was like a Holy Ghost arsonist everywhere he went. When he spoke, God responded. Why do you think Moses... Why do you think Smith Wigglesworth had such speedy, expedited answers to his prayers? Because the moment he saw someone in dire need of salvation, he didn't hold back, he spoke. And the final reward that God gives soul winners is supernatural protection. Let me read this, Psalm 91, and then we're going to pray. And I'm believing God is raising up from this broadcast hundreds of people all around the world that are going to shake their nation by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really believe that. That God, just like Samson, tied the tails of foxes and lit their tails ablaze and sent them out and it burnt up the crops of the Philistines. God is, is lighting up your tail today. And he's sending, he's dispatching you from this broadcast to burn up the work of hell and establish a great work for God on the earth. Psalm 91 Number five benefit or reward to soul winning. The Bible says, because he has set his love on me, I will deliver him and I will set him on high because he has known my name. So everything Psalm 91 says is based on that one verse. Verse 14, because he has set his love on God, therefore God will deliver him and I'll set him on high because he has known my name. John 14, 21 says, Who is he that loves me but he that hears my commandments and does it? He that has my commandments and does it is the one that loves me. And Psalm 91, 14 says, Whoever loves me, what's the commandment? The number one commandment. We've talked about it all day. Go and preach. He that has my commandment to go and preach and goes and preaches. 
and tells people about Jesus and isn't shy about their faith, but open my open mouthed. I will deliver him. I'll set him on high above his enemies round about because he has known my name. He'll call on me and I'll answer him. There goes there goes back to answered prayer. He'll call on me and I'll answer him. Because he's responded to my call, I'll respond to his call. Then you skip, to, you go down to verse 3. Surely he'll deliver me from the snare of the fowler. The traps of the enemy that the devil designs to try and ensnare you with, God will deliver you. He'll navigate you around them like a minefield that we're, we're trying to navigate through. God will make sure you never get caught up in a snare. He'll deliver you from perilous pestilence, from sickness and disease. He'll give you a supernatural wall of protection all around you. That sickness will never be able to permeate your body. He'll cover you with his feathers like a bird. A mother hen gathers her chicks within, his, within her wings. God will gather you within himself. You'll be hidden with Christ in God. And under his wings you'll take refuge. His truth will become your shield and your buckler. You'll never be afraid of the terror by night. You won't have a reason to be. Nor of the arrow that flies by day. Nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Nor of the destruction that lays waste at noon. Whatever they're saying is going to happen in the next coming year. We're going to have food shortages. We're going to have, it doesn't matter. I'm a soul winner. I put God first in every area of my life. In my finances, in what I do, in my time, in my resources. And so no matter the disaster that hits this world, it'll be minus me. Because he said the destruction that lays waste at noonday, I don't have to be afraid of. Because his right hand sustains me. His right hand lifts me up. He's my God. He's my shelter. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. Fortress. A thousand can fall at my side, 10,000 all around me. It'll never come near me. Only with my eyes I'll look and see the reward of the wicked. Because I've made the Lord my refuge, even the most high my dwelling place, no evil will befall me, nor shall plague come near my tent. Hallelujah. He'll guard, give his angels charge over you to guard you up in all your ways, lest you even dash your foot against a stone. Praise the Lord. Psalm 91 is for soul winners. For soul winners, because we read it in verse 14, because you've loved me. How do you love God? John chapter 21, Jesus tells Peter after he had denied Christ, but then he got restored. He went to Peter and he said, He said, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know that I love you. Go after my sheep. Win the loss. Not do you love me? Faithfully attend church. That's part of loving God and devotion to God. You should attend a church faithfully, a local body you should connect to. But he said, Do you love me? Go after my sheep. Do you love me? Go after my lambs. Go after the lost at any cost. That's the cardinal proof that you love God is when you love people. And so, for those that have watched this broadcast today, I want to pray right now that the fire that was released in this broadcast will get into your very bones. Like Jeremiah said, it's like a fire Shut up in my bones that I cannot hold back, that I have to open up my mouth and speak. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 22. He says he goes out and he hired some laborers for his harvest field. Then he went out at the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour and he did the same. Every hour he came out and he hired more people. And at the 11th hour he came out and he signed, He saw people that were still standing idle. Maybe that's you. You've been standing idle. You've been doing nothing. Twiddling your thumbs in church. Not feeling that responsibility. But today you've heard the call of God. 
Jesus went out to those. He said, why are you here standing idle? Did nobody put you to work? They said, no, nobody. And he said, go out into my fields. And they went out. He called them. God's calling you in this 11th hour of time. We're at 11.59.59. Jesus is about to come back. And you want to know the good news about those, you know, that, that parable? When all the workers that came out from the very first hour to the 11th hour, they came out and they received their wages. Because the Bible says, he that harvests receives wages. He that harvests receives wages. They came out to receive their wages, their reward. And the ones that came out at the 11th hour received the denarius each. The ones that came out from the first hour received the denarius each. And they complained. They said, man, we've, done, we've been preaching since we first got saved. And you're going to give them who just came on board now the same prize and the same reward? Yeah. Anybody, it doesn't matter if you're 89 years old and you're going to start winning souls now. You're entitled to the very same reward. Jesus said, is it not right for me to do what I want with my goods? Is your eye evil because I'm good? God is good. And he repays with good those that, those that sign up to his, to, his, uh, to, to, to his service. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. For everyone that's watching right now, let the fire of evangelism burn in them right now. Dip them in the kerosene of your spirit. Set them ablaze so that they can burn for you. In Jesus' name, the passion that was in Billy Graham, the passion that was in, that was in Christ himself when he looked upon the multitudes and he saw them as sheep without shepherd and he, he was moved with compassion to preach, to teach, and to heal. I pray, let that same compassion be the driving force in our lives. Just like Paul said, let the love of Christ compel us. Lord, as we look on the masses of humanity, let's look past the, the smiles of their face and the, the superficial joy that they might be, uh, might be hypocritically showing the world saying everything's all right, but Lord, you know their heart. You know the sorrow of their heart. You know the heaviness of their heart. And Lord, we know the gospel is the only solution to it all. In Jesus' name, I pray as I've prayed coming onto this broadcast, use this to mobilize people in every corner of the earth to be equipped thoroughly with that which is necessary to bring in the greatest harvest of souls humanity has ever seen in Jesus name in Jesus name I want you as a confession of faith as we've closed this broadcast to write in the comment section I will go I will go I will go it's mail I will go Christopher Benson I will go sunshine I will go Sabrina Vargas I will go Jaden I will go Natasha I will go Mandy I will go Sandy, I will go. D, I will go. You know, I really love you all. That you, you, you faithful viewers that come on the broadcast all the time. I, I really do. And it was wonderful meeting some of you in Toronto this, this past weekend. Because I know how, how much this broadcast means to you. And, and I want you to know how much you mean to me. You're not just a little icon on my screen. You know, we pray for you guys. Every single, every single week, I'm praying for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel the pray for some of you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit right now. The empowerment necessary to be an effective witness. In Jesus' name, some of you are ready to receive it right now. Your spirit's been steered this entire time. I loose the baptism of the Holy Spirit in you right now. 
in Jesus' name. Be filled with the Spirit of God. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Never to be the same again. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, I talked about soul winning. I talked about hell. I talked about rewards for serving God. Not only does God not want you to go to hell, God wants to help you now. God wants to not only wait for you to get to heaven before he starts to help and bless you, God, God wants to break the hold of sin off your life that produces death here and now. But you have to come to Jesus. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. Forgive me of my sin. For I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess, Jesus is my Lord. I will live for you. Only fill me with your spirit. And where I was weak, make me strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationon.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out. I want to get some material to you free of charge, totally free. Uh, it's a Bible and some other books that are going to help you, um, going to help you greatly in this new, new walk with Christ. So go and do that, salvationl.ca. I just got saved. If you prayed that for the very first time or if you've rededicated your life to Christ, go and do that. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.